Welcome to Rekindled Faith with Melanie Bierda. Whether you've been wrestling with questions, facing doubt, or simply just uninspired, let's dive into what it means to be authentic followers of Christ. and welcome to Rekindled Faith. I am extremely excited to introduce my very first guest to the podcast, Mr. Troy Lydiot with Apologetics Canada. Troy, would you mind introducing yourself? I would love to. Um, my name is Troy. I am the creative director for Apologetics Canada. I've been working for them just about, I want to say, four years. I'm also our podcast host as well for the AC podcast, and we've had Melanie on there, and she did a, an amazing job. Um, yeah, I, I get to be part of a, a, a parachurch organization and we do a lot of, um, we use a lot of creativity and resources to work, come alongside churches to give them, essentially equipping them to have a robust faith and really have a, a sound understanding of, of how to defend your faith, but doing so with gentleness and respect as it's outlined in first Peter three fifteen and, we do that through podcasts. We do that through our conference that we got coming up literally at the end of the week as far as the time of this recording. And um, we do leadership summits, which Melanie has joined us on for the last three, I think. It's been- It was the last three, two. Last two. two. And she's spoken at those and taken those in and um, and a couple of different things. Like we, It's really cool being a part of an organization that's multifaceted. But my role in particular is to, I like to say, put the, the lip gloss on, <laughs> on all the projects that we got um, as far as creatively. And as much as it's a, it is a collaborative effort, that is what I oversee. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. And part of why I invited Troy here today was that we both come from a similar story of adoption. And so for me, like I was adopted at 10 days old. My biological mother recognized that she was in a position that she could not care for a child. And so she chose to give me up for adoption and she hand selected the file of my parents that I grew up with. And uh, for me growing up, when I did find out about it, I struggled with my identity around the adoption in a wide variety of aspects. And like now I've really come to terms with it and I can see how my mom was a brave, bold and beautiful person and that she chose to give me an incredible gift of being able to live this life. Uh, Troy, would you mind just sharing your adoption story? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was born in Kingston, Jamaica, a lovely, wonderful little island off of essentially the coast of just between what would you could almost say is South America, you know, it's a tiny little island. Um, we like to boast that we're the land that produced Bob Marley. So for those of you who watched the new movie, that's where I'm from. And um, I, uh, my adoption story uh, in, in a lot of ways is, was hard for people to, to hear. I mean, it was hard for me growing up. I was abandoned on a bench as a baby. I was found and brought into an orphanage. And honestly, by the grace of God, I was adopted by two years old um, into a Canadian family, um, a non-black family, that's for sure. Um, and that that blessing also had its obvious, obvious challenges because there's a whole identity piece involved in that, right? You're born in a whole other country. You don't know your biological parents. I don't know my biological parents and raised in a demographic that doesn't look like you. 
and as far as what you're told about your culture does not resemble your culture or the culture sorry the culture that i was born from i didn't the, canada didn't look like that my family didn't look like that and the, it naturally and i think you if you were to talk about adoption with any any person's story while my story may have differences in in regards to context the underlying piece that kind of connects everyone is that identity piece and so like many I, I wrestled with identity growing up I was I wasn't black enough for the black kids and I wasn't definitely wasn't white <laughs> so there was always I always kind of felt like that middle child kind of vibe but as far as culture culture went and so it naturally led me to constantly trying to be approved by people because there was this little chunk in my story that said I wasn't valued that said I wasn't good enough for somebody. And so as I grew up, I, unbeknownst to me, just naturally, this is kind of what happens with a, um, someone of that orphan spirit is what you what you would call it, is this desire to make sure that that never happens again. And so much of my life and many of the mistakes I made were based around me trying to find other people's approval. Yeah, I totally relate with that just in the aspect of the identity piece, of course. And um, just also like for me too, I... I don't know if you can relate to this, but I felt like a chameleon. Like I would kind of morph oh into what I thought other people wanted me to be because I had no idea. Like I just didn't have roots that would go down yeah. anywhere. And yeah. so when I came into a different friend group, like you would ask me what my favorite color was. I would wait for you to tell me what yours was. And then I'd be like, yeah, I totally love that color. That's my fave. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, just like the I guess like insecurity that I carried with me. And, you know, a lot of that came from the uncertainty of it. And for me, like I grew up in a family that we, we're all white, we're all Caucasian. Yeah. And so people would come up to me and be like, oh, you look so much like your dad because my dad has brown hair. And I'd be like, OK, like, sure. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then and but also at the same time, like struggling with like looking at other people's families and seeing, oh, wow, you have the characteristics of your parents or, mm -hmm. oh, wow, you really look like your sister and all those things and kind of yeah. like struggling with that and having this weird sense of a longing to know where you came from, but not really knowing how to get to that point and just the uncertainty of it. For sure. There's something you said about being a chameleon that actually I was just thinking about the other day. And I think for a lot of people. Um, when you hear a chameleon, you naturally think adaptability, right? And I grew up being able to adapt anywhere. I mean, right out of high school, I moved to California and 85 to 90% of the people I was around were California Hispanics, right? Like they were from Mexico, they were from uh, Peru, there were some different, but they lived in California and so they had that Spanglish accent. And so as far as the culture went, I fully, I was always one of those people that fully immersed themselves. So I'm going to go to a quinceanera and learn to dance cumbia and learn different reggaeton artists and be able to speak um, quite a bit of Spanish at that time, especially because my teammates, because I was there for soccer, they're speaking Spanish on the field. Well, I'm going to speak Spanish on the field. I'm going to learn because that's, that's the culture. And it is something to a certain degree that was celebrated. But what, what God was really showing me actually just recently, I was having a conversation was how many people would say, man, I'm adaptable. I can just blend in. I'm a chameleon. It's a defense mechanism. Chameleons only blend in and shift colors when danger is nearby. They don't do it just so they can do it. 
And if you think about it, a chameleon, as it's going throughout its day, it's just looking to eat. It's looking to do whatever it needs to do, go about its day. But any time it senses it's in danger, it will change its color. It will change its what looks like the texture on their skin. And I thought about it for a moment. And I was like, oh, my gosh. My adaptability, while it could be celebrated to a degree, has entirely been a defense mechanism. It's always been about um, making sure that I'm accepted, making sure that I don't stand out in the wrong way, but stand out in a way that says, wow, he's one of us, right? It's that desire for, like you said, a longing for belonging, (laughs) to to give you that that fun little phrase, that's the preacher in me, but that's just that that's that's what a lot of of people who have come from adoption or foster care or any form of abandonment and some just individuals if you find yourself constantly trying to adapt to the point of compromise you should really start asking yourself wait a minute there's something here there's something deeper why do i feel like i'm not good enough by myself and 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 as i am why am i not bringing my uniqueness to uh to the table Instead, I'm just kind of assimilating and almost for some people annihilating everything that I thought I was. Absolutely. Yes, that totally resonates with me. Um, And even in that, like for me, when I was a teenager, I would have loved to have like stood on stage and been in a play or something. But like, what about failure? What if I failed? What if that looked negatively upon me? So like just in your explanation there, like that's what comes to mind is how Mm Like it was also like my coping mechanism. Like I would give enough of what I thought would be beneficial to making people like me, but then I wouldn't put my my true self out there. Uh, I wouldn't allow people to see who Melanie really was because honestly, I didn't even know what they would find or if what they found would be even acceptable because I just had so much uncertainty about who I actually was. It's that desire for approval. Right. I mean, that's really what it how it showed up in my life, even as an adult, like being fully, fully transparent. It's something that to this day, I it's like now I understand that knock on the door, you know, when that desire for approval is knocking, when that insecurity is knocking. And it's something that um, well, I, uh, one thing I didn't say is like I'm, I'm, I'm a leader in my church community. I'm one of the worship leaders there and I'm, I'm part of our, our music, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, I'll say department. And as a recording artist that I am, one of there's natural insecurities that come up in that arena because you're you're creating and then the world you put it out and the world judges it. The world determines whether or not they like it. You know, there's the award shows, there's the Spotify streams, there's the the getting musical opportunities. And and one of the things that I'm super grateful for in my church is I have a pastor who, when we moved here to BC to be a part of the church community, he allowed me to sit down for almost four months, me and my wife and our family to do nothing because he didn't want my value to be task based. And that was so much of what I was used to is that approval I found was, hey, this is what I can do for you. But just let me know that I'm doing this really, really well. Please tell me that I'm doing this really, really well, because the moment I get a sniff that I wasn't doing it right, I just I would spin out like that's where my anxiety would come from. Um, any any seasons of my life where I wrestled with anxiety was purely because of me feeling, oh, no, I screwed up. They're going to leave me They're I, I'm done. I'm going to lose the job. I'm going to lose this opportunity. I'm never going to get it again. Or something as simple as, hey, I got this opportunity, but they never asked me to come back. 
shoot, it must be something I did. I must have done something wrong. I must have. It's like God was like, son, like what? Where did that come from? Who told you that? Right. It's, it, you take it back to the garden. Like who who told you that you weren't good enough? Well, when I look and I sift through the, the clutter, I realized it was like, oh, I did. And now the Lord was like, I brought you to a church community where you're going to have pastors and leaders who are going to help uncover that and get to the root of that. Where is that fear coming from? Okay, it's coming from your abandonment and and that orphan spirit. And, and a lot of people may say, um, well, Troy, that's that's so obvious. It's so obvious. It's, it's like you you really think it is obvious. But here's the the trick of it is you think because time has gone on and you don't think about it all the time that you're over it. No, friends, that's just called coping. You've coped with that anxiety in different ways. You may not, some people have led to addiction. Well, some people have led to not being able to say no to people and became workaholics who become opportunity junkies. And it doesn't seem bad on paper, but when you're asked to just sit and settle, what happens? Do you get agitated? Do you get nervous? Do you start looking for opportunities to do something? What are you at at rest? And that was something I learned is like, I had a lot of skills and abilities. I've got a lot of talents, but man, what does my rest look like? What does my peace look like? And I just did not have it. I did not have it. Yeah. And that makes me think about how God tells us that we need to be still and know that he is God and to be able to, yeah, right. And just to be able, like, I think of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of my favorite. I used to hate it because I thought it was so boring. But then, I don't know, one day the Holy Spirit just came upon me and was like, yo, listen. And I was like, okay, yeah. So then, like the book of Ecclesiastes, like everything under the sun, it's the same. Over and over again, it's the same. But God remains the same. Like he remains the same through all seasons. And he is calling us into a relationship and a family dynamic that should be able to, well, it is able to sustain us through all of those changes that we face in this life. But how often, like even in what you've just described, I think of hustle culture, like we're oh, constantly boy. hustling, hustle, yeah. hustle, trying to get validated by people, yeah. places and things and not actually taking the time to commit to that relationship that we were created for that first yeah. relationship. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because I it, it makes me think of reasons why certain Bible verses have to us, to us, not to God have lost their power. I think about verses like Psalm 139. Now hear me when I say this, listeners, everyone. I'm not saying that the Bible has lost its power. It's that it's lost its power in our lives because we don't believe it. Psalm 139 says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I think every any youth conference I've ever been to, that, that passage comes up. And I've watched people hear that verse, even to this day, and they just, their eyes are like, Crazy because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's just become it's become like that 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 print that's on your mom's wall. <laughs> it's been it's become that tattoo that's on your friend. But it's like, do you do you really believe that you were fearfully and wonderfully made? Because it's when it when those moments come up, those identity challenges come up, our root, especially as believers, has to be the word of God. Our foundation has to be the word of God. But if you don't believe it, if it doesn't if it can't take root then my gosh, like what, what possibly there's no, sorry, there's nothing else that's going to sustain you. You're constantly going to be looking for counterfeit satisfaction and it's never going to, 
it's never going to fulfill you. And and again, that's another phrase that people don't hear. Well, fulfillment is this. And it's just, okay, well, fulfilled. How do you want it? Well, it God has called you to fullness. He's like, I've come to give you life and life to the full. But it coincides with seeking him first. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added after. So that means his kingdom. That means the kingdom way. That means the kingdom mindset and the heart of the God of that kingdom. And I mean, adoption has such a way of perverting, um, or sorry, not adoption, but abandonment has such a way of perverting the construct of family that God called us to, right? Genesis, the garden reality was we walked in the cool of the day with our father, nearness to him. He created an environment for his son and daughter to sup with him, to hang out with him, to experience life with him, right? I, I, I think all the time about Adam being given the charge of naming all the animals. That's like me bringing something home for my kids and saying, hey, go enjoy that. It's like that's if we don't believe that that's truly what God desired for us, then, man, the idea of adoption will always seem like a dirty word because adoption for a lot of years, I didn't like to I didn't like the idea of being adopted. But then when you look at scripture and says that we've been given the spirit of adoption in Romans eight, it's like. My word, this is what you called us to like you adopted all of us. So every single person to a certain degree if they wake up to this reality, we'll know that, man, we have a truly been adopted by Christ. We are no longer because the world and what it looks like to me is that it's because the world abandoned you. You are born into this world and the world, because of sin nature, left us all as orphans. But God came through and was like, you're my son, you're my daughter. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but Melody, but it's like when I hear verses like that, it just wrecks me. Like it's just now with understanding, it's just so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. And I feel like it's so easy to miss the mark too. Cause like you said, like we like we are created for that that father, son, father, daughter relationship with God first and foremost. But a lot of times I find like in my own walk, but also in the people that I have had the privilege of walking alongside we can treat God more as a genie that's supposed to take away our pain and our suffering and our insecurities rather than actually treating him like the God that on purpose created every single part of who we are in the spiritual with a deep and longing desire to have that connection, have that relationship to step into the daily life with us, not just, you know, in the morning when we wake up or on Sundays when we go to church, like not just that one time, but every single moment of the day, we have the opportunity and the invitation to live an authentic life with Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you said that. Like God is super intentional. He is an on purpose God. He doesn't do things just willy nilly. Like it's not just, and I think that in of itself has been some language maybe in the church that somewhere along the way we, we 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 just started saying things that weren't that weren't biblical like uh, you think about phrases like well god can take uh god can take a bad thing and make it a good thing and it's just like wait a minute you're making it seem like when when you say that so loosely it's like def- well define it being bad or take it a step further well let's define what makes it good 
does good mean it was comfortable? Does good mean that you liked the process? Because there's, if that's the case, there's been a lot of processes that I did not like, but boy, were they good for me. They turned out great. <laughs> right. Uh, and so like that barometer for what is what is in these journeys that the Lord has us on has to be. We can't make it so linear. We can't make it so black and white and understand. And I say this to people all the time is like and people can disagree, but I'll say there, there's black and white and then there's the gray. And, and guess who's standing in the gray? Jesus. He's the one holding that tension together. And we have to be OK with that. It's it's a hard truth. But I don't know. Like for someone like myself, I don't know why my mother or my father couldn't take care of me. I have no idea. As a child, I tried to fill in the blanks, right? At one point in my life, it made me feel really good to say, well, um, they, 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 they wanted to, um, they didn't want me. You know, they just left me. They didn't care about me. I was a mistake because that was a place in my life. But then there was another place in my life where I built this beautiful picture. I'm like, you know what? I believe that my mom, she really wanted me. And but she just knew that she couldn't she didn't have the financial means. And my father uh, encouraged her. You know what? We can't take care of him because Jamaica is a poor country. Let's take him to someone who can. Maybe they were sitting in the bushes watching as someone found me. And then the Lord hit me with he's like, nope. What if, Troy, they just you were born? Just so happened they took you full term and decided, well, I'm not getting an abortion because it's too expensive. I'm putting them on a bench and I'm walking away. Are you do? Am I still a good God? Like that, th- those, those gaps, I realized very er- like I, I wish I realized earlier on that those gaps are only things that God can fill. That is a God sized gap in my life. The unknowing of why they left me, where they are, what they're doing now. I was like, God, what do I do with this gap? And he said, give it to me. You've got to give it to me and give them to me. Put them, ball everything up with your story, put it in this gap and let me hold on to it. And I will replace it with my joy. I'll, re- I'll replace it with my peace. And I will not let your up, what, where you came from be purely what defines you. I was adopted, but I don't walk around calling myself an adoptee, if that makes sense to you. I'm a, I'm a son, right? I'm not, I'm not a former orphan. I'm, I'm a son and there's so much, there's been so much freedom and peace in that I've been able to forgive my parents. Um, I've been able to forgive everyone that might've been involved (laughs) because what I can't harbor unforgiveness and move forward. I can't harbor questioning and guessing and move forward. It's not healthy. It's not, it's not leading me to wholeness. And it's also not giving room for God to give me new testimony. Like it is with my family. When my daughter turned to, when my son turned to, I looked at them at the age one, when they were born, I'm like, wow, imagine me walking away from you right now. And then at two, wow, you're the age I was adopted, but you're never going to have to question who, who your mother and father were. You're never going to have that part of your story. Praise God. I've broken a cycle. Just, just like that. Thanks be to God. You know, I love that breaking the cycle and the gratitude that you have today for the life that you get to live and the privilege that you have to be able to raise these two beautiful children with your beautiful wife in this, in this world. And like, you can tell that you have healing and wholeness and you can tell that you're shining through like that is coming through Christ. Mm -hmm. So is there like a pivotal moment in your story where it switched from black to white of, of having that negative idea about adoption to like just 
boom, like, no, no, I am chosen. So about, and this is going to sound wild, like for, for some people who may be hearing this portion of my story for the first time, I think it was about three years ago, maybe four, my pastors, um, they were, uh, it was during a service and they literally just kind of called me out. <laughs> and it was, um, it was just a moment where it was like the heart of the father hit them and said, you need to share this with Troy. And the, both of my pastors looked at me and said, Troy, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't abandoned. This is your Moses moment. And I was like, what Troy, whether, regardless of how your parents let go of you, the spirit of God put you in a basket and put you up the river. And I was like, wait a minute to be raised by people who just so happen to have the means to actually taking care of you, um, to be raised by people so that one day your story could impact those like you or the, the, those like from the place that you're from. And that was so pivotal for me to realize that, man, God preserved me, right? It's easy to get lost in the weeds with the story, but God preserved my life for the sake of his glory, period, point blank. And now I have an opportunity to take this story that for many would crush them or, or many didn't make it out. Let's be honest. Our, my, my orphanage doesn't exist to this day. There's no paperwork. Like there's, I don't know the name of it. I only know the street that it was on and it doesn't exist anymore. So I have that story that when I put in God's hands and I say, okay, Lord, this is what I got, right? And he says, Troy, take up your staff, take up your story, take up your upbringing, and I'm going to use this mightily to free people from the bondages of, or, of, of an orphan spirit, for those who have been abandoned, for those who have been abused, for those who have um, been brought up in situations they weren't, uh, that they weren't born in, that they, right? Because some, there's also people, a demographic of people that were born into a really hard situation. Like they were born into it. They were born into abuse. They were born into alcoholism. They were born into these really tough scenarios. And the Lord said to me, he's like, Troy, you need to show them that what they can, what they can do with their story can lead other people to freedom. They just have to recognize what's what's in their hand and not be afraid and trust me through that process. Now, I'm not saying this for a whole bunch of people to all of a sudden say like, oh, okay, so I'm supposed to be this big, mighty leader like, like Moses was in front of thousands. Like, no, no, no. It might just be your friend group. It might just be your community. And, uh, but I would say that was the, that was super pivotal for me because I think when you're able to look at scripture and you're able to see yourself in scripture, regardless of the angle you're looking at, because let's be honest, sometimes we're Pharaoh, sometimes we're Moses. Um, when you're able to see your story in scripture, it really has a way of fortifying your, your next steps forward and giving you just an assurance that, okay, God, uh, I saw what you did for them. And, and so I believe you could do it again. Okay. So all of what you just said makes me think of this Bible verse that was given to me, I think back in 2013 when I was on a young adult missions trip mm -hmm. and I shared my testimony for the first time with a Christian. Um, for those that may not know, like I walked away from Christianity as a teenager because of my struggles with my identity and, and just like understanding what Christianity really was supposed to be about. But anyway, so when I came back to faith, I bravely went on a missions trip and I was 
terrified because I had so much, um, I guess you call it church hurt these days and, and stuff like that. So anyways, I shared my testimony with this girl and she gave me this Bible verse after. So it's Psalm 107 verse two, and it says, let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has rescued them from the power of the foe. And that's what just came to mind as you're sharing, because what I love about the Christian faith is that when we go all in for Christ, when we are willing to sacrifice our own wants, needs, and desires in obedience to Christ, he moves us to spaces that allow other people to see the hope that comes only from Christ. And I just think about what you're doing and what your ministry is and how you're allowing your, like, I guess, trauma of your past, of being separated from your family, you're allowing God to take that away from you and mold it into something that is going to have a deep impact on so many people that are struggling with that same orphan spirit. And like you said, it's not just being an orphan in this life, but it's all of the struggles and all of the chaos that comes from living on this this fallen earth this yeah. fallen rock floating around in yeah. space yeah it's there's there's so many complexities to it and that's why i'll always say to people i'm like well there's no two stories in adoption that are the same i remember being at a conference one time and someone asking me oh my gosh let me share this this story with you so I want to say six years ago, maybe seven years ago, when I first started doing any form of keynote speaking, this is before Move to BC, this is before Apologetics Canada, I was asked to speak at this uh, event called Belong Summit and uh, by this, this incredible couple, um, uh, Harold and Wendy Park. They're amazing, amazing people. Um, anyways, they had me speak on adoption because it was very much like a youth workers related conference, right? So there was different elements of foster care and and uh, social working and everything that kind of came into play. I was fielded a question and they, they asked me, how do you have a successful adoption? I'd never been asked it before in my life. Keep in mind, this is very early on in me sharing anything, right? Like I've shared my story, but to be in this position is very different. You got parents of all ages in this room with adoptees that are adults that are older than me. You got 60 year old adoptees in the room. And I was like, oh my gosh. Anyone who's ever had to do public speaking realizes some of these moments where you're like, holy smokes. And it's like, holy spirit, activate, holy spirit. Like, and immediately, like, God is so good. He just says to me, he's like, Troy, you got to tell them there's no such thing as a successful adoption. There's faithful adoptees. And I was like, oh, my word. And I shared that with them. I said, there's no such thing. Because the moment that you, what makes adoption successful is faithfulness. It has nothing to do with whether or not that kid grows up and gets into school, gets into university, loves their adopted parents or reconciles with their parents. And, you know, I think those can be forms of those can be successful moments. But to then go and say that the kid who is adopted, brought over from another country, wrestles with his identity, wrestles with his adoption and ends up on the on the street ends up back into a, a tumultuous situation, who's to say, like, wait, you failed? I was like, but the adoption had to do with faithfulness. It's just like parenting, right? I think successful parenting is faithful parenting. It's not merely the, because mistakes are going to happen. Challenges are going to happen. 
right? The, a parent could may not, may not talk to their kid for 30 years, but then all of a sudden, a moment of reconciliation, you're going to tell me that the, those past years were unsuccessful? It's like you're going you're gonna to sum it up to this one moment? Absolutely not. And that has radically changed the way I look at, you know, being adopted. It's like, man, my parents were just, my parents were faithful. Thank God for their faithfulness. Let's focus on faithfulness rather than the, it went well. You know, rather than, did we have tense moments? Absolutely. But I thank God for, for my parents, right? I mean, Canadians, white folks, wonderful, you know, from Montreal, right? And, but they rate, they immersed me in my culture. They were constantly teaching me about Jamaica, taking me to different restaurants. They were introducing me to the food. They were pushing me and encouraging me, man, learn all you can about Jamaica. Learn about Bob Marley. Learn about these different people because they understood while my identity shouldn't be rooted in those things, it can add a little bit of flavor to how I see myself and understanding where I came from and being proud um, of being Jamaican. But I'm also proud of being Canadian because of their faithfulness. I'm proud to, to, to wave both of those flags. But ultimately, I know at the end of the day, me being Jamaican, me being a Canadian, me being black, me being adopted, if if my identity is rooted in those things, th those things will fail me every day of the week because I'll look at life through that lens rather than the lens of, uh, through the lens of Christ. Yeah, that's beautiful. Anything else that you would like to, to share? I think one thing <clears throat> I'll say for anyone who's been adopted, don't rush the process of healing. It's, it's layers. It takes time, you know, be, I'll stress, especially as believers, it is really, really important to have leadership in your life that are patient with you, but you can trust to help identify those, those little underlying feelings and emotions because so many people, and this is, this is not just adoptees, but people in general, we are very cycle-based. We are very pattern-based. And there's some things that we do based purely because it was established early on. And so that's the way we think. That's the way we respond. That's the way we, we react. Do not use adoption as a crutch for not healing. Do not use adoption as a crutch for not trusting because it will absolutely corrupt you and destroy the walk that the Lord has for you. Go through the process of, of healing. Let God get into those vulnerable spaces. And how does he do that? He does it with accountability and godly, biblically sound counsel, whether it's a pastor or, um, you know, some people have what's called spiritual parents or some people that can walk, that are mature in the faith, that can help you walk through these things, but point you to scripture. Your emotions are real. The trauma is real. Don't let people gaslight you and saying like, oh, you don't have trauma. That's just a buzzword. No, the trauma is real. It is 100% real. Whether you were adopted from another country or you were adopted domestically within Canada, adoption is adoption is adoption. And it's, and it's very, and just, I would say, put foster care right on in there. Foster care even, even has different challenges because they don't technically, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, belong to that family. Even though they're with them for 20 years, unless they're actually adopted, they can feel like they're in this limbo. Which is why I'll say again is allow God to take you through those places of healing and don't 
feel like you have to also don't feel like you got to be the poster child for everybody. You don't. I, I thank God that he's given me the ability to articulate. He's given me the ability to communicate my story, how I've seen adoption unfold in my life and through scripture. But not everyone has that has that call. Not everyone has that platform. So you don't if you don't know and you're not ready to have those conversations, just say that. Don't don't build something up because you feel like you need that you owe somebody something. But I but I promise you this, you submit your story to God, he will he will use it mightily. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll be a keynote speaker, but he'll use it whether it's just like I said, breaking a cycle in your own family, being the first in your family to be in a stable family um, construct, to be the first one who whose kids know who whose kids don't know abuse, you might be the first one. But you got to submit that your story to the Lord, because it's not over, it's not done. No matter how old you are, you could be a seven-year-old person listening to this story, and you're adopted, and you're dealing with brokenness. God's ready to heal that. You're, as my pastor puts it like this, God is as ready to do something mightily in your life as Lazarus was. And Lazarus was dead. And God still used him in a mighty, mighty way. So just that'd be my encouragement. Yeah. And that, like, I love that. And it brings back to that whole concept of hustle culture and being still and knowing that God is God. And I, I feel like sometimes we can say the words, but the words don't really carry the weight anymore because like I can say, oh, well, like, like you said before, like God can and will heal you. So to like learn how to have the faith, the relationship with God, the recognition, like it's okay to, it's okay to struggle with our identity around the adoption. Yeah. And totally. And that's okay. It's okay to walk through the valley or walk through the wilderness and just have those feelings of being in isolation, but knowing that God is with us through every single hill and valley. Mm -hmm. And like for my own adoption story too, like my voice on adoption has changed drastically even in the last five years. Because like as a teenager, when I walked away from faith, when I walked away from my parents too, essentially, I would have easily told you, oh, well, like my parents were strict and like, you know, like I'm adopted and I'm a victim and all these things happened to me. And like my voice was negative. My voice was fixating on all the problems in my life and trying to blame it on other people, places and things. And it doesn't work. That only made the void within my soul so much bigger And it made it harder for me to get that connection with God later when I was ready to do so because I had to climb back out of all of that disgusting wreckage I had created for myself in order to start being able to be aware of the Holy Spirit. Like he was there the whole time, but I had to fight through all of the cobwebs to really understand what he was saying and to trust God through that process. It's okay if we don't have the answers today. It's okay if we don't feel happy about our adoption today, but we need to trust and hold tight to the truth of who God is and why he created us and just be held in his embrace in that process. Philippians 1.6, girl, you preaching right now. And I am certain, Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Think of the person who is speaking right now. Paul was, was met Jesus as an adult. 
Paul thought his story was sorted, that he was going to go after Christians, that he was going to he was going to be the tax collector. He was going to he was murdering Christians and yet has one experience with God that radically changes the trajectory of his life and ours as the church, as the ecclesia. And so for Paul to have the confidence to say, I am certain that God who began the good work within you, I, I, that's someone that's someone who watched, who has had to go through some really hard places because of what he was doing against God. Remember what the scripture said, you will, you will suffer for me. <laughs> that was Paul's promise, right? And so it's not saying that being a believer, like, like Melanie, you were saying, it's, it doesn't mean that just because you're a believer, it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows. No, but there is this great hope. There's, there is this assurance. And I've seen it in my own life. I've seen my, my growth. I've watched my development. And that's the first step, honestly. You got to see your own growth and development and celebrate, celebrate often, like celebrate those moments. We don't celebrate much as, as believers. Um, you see the world. Let, let's be honest. You see the world. Why do you think people are out every single weekend doing all kinds of craziness or whatever? There's this aspect of we're trying to celebrate the life we have. I'd say it's misplaced because of the way that they're going about it. And some people, not everybody is, but there is this like, let's find something to celebrate about. But quite honestly, as believers, when you're growing in the Lord, man, I like, I love to, I love to look back at the Facebook memories or things I said a year ago, a couple of years ago, because it's like two things, man, look how far I've come. And two, man, do I still believe that? Yes, I do. You know, sometimes it's like, yes, I do. God is still that God. He still is the one who, you know, when I had no name, gave me a name, right? Like my name, Troy, Lydia was given to me in the orphanage. My name was Troy Williams. They just made up that name for me as a baby. No one specifically was like, I want to call him this. It was more of a, we should call him this. And I'm like, okay, God, but my name means Troy literally means loyal foot soldier. So God had his hand in that all from from Jump Street that I would get the opportunity to faithfully serve him all the days of my life. Man, I'm good. I'm good. That's good. That's good. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you today. I yeah, I totally relate because like I said, like my voice on adoption used to be negative, but today it's like it comes from a place of deep, deep gratitude. Yeah. And um you know, I, I re like a couple years ago, I learned that the human brain will fixate on the negative because it's a survival tactic. So like back in the day when things were trying to eat you or you had to survive, now we have so many safety blankets and we live in cozy little homes and have uh -huh. fluffy pillows. But it's like the, the mind can easily fixate on the negative. We have to retrain the brain to look for the positive. For me, part of my process of turning my voice from negative to positive was of course seeking out my relationship with God, getting like routinely in the word and also making a gratitude list of just like recognizing the things in my life that I was actually grateful for from simple things to the socks on my feet to Come big on. things like my place within my family. Like there is so much to be grateful for. And I don't mean that in like that blanket statement of like, well, you should just be grateful. Because I think even with adoption, like sometimes that is the, the, for people that haven't been adopted, like that is also a mindset of like, well, you should be grateful you were chosen, you were adopted, like that's a good thing. And we can be, or some people can be dismissive to the adoption trauma that you mentioned. 
recognizing that the more we choose to dig our roots deep into the truth of who God has created us to be as children of God living on this earth for a time, it's like your, your voice changes because you recognize the beauty of your life and the gift that it is. And for me, what really became a pivotal moment in my uh, healing from my adoption story was Roe versus Wade. Like when everything started blowing up because I was not really on social media. I don't really pay attention to the news. Like I know abortion's a thing because I, I know people like even as a teenager that had had abortions. I am so grateful that my mom had the option of getting an abortion and she was told to get an abortion, but she said, no, I am going to give this baby a mummy and a daddy in a Christian home. Like that woman deserves honor and respect every single day that my lungs have air. I will shout, I will shout God, like praises to God, but I will also shout praises to her because she gave me this life that I have today. And who am I to scoff it off and treat it like I'm, I'm a victim. Like that's just where I'm at today. That's where I've come from. I mean, that's where I've come to in my process of healing from the identity crisis that came with being adopted. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're touching on something about, you know, allowing these, this, these changes in your mind. And I mean, there's scripture and science to back up both of those things, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And the science that backs it up is something called neuroplasticity. Now, neuroplasticity is quite literally the ability for the nervous system to change its activity in response to intrinsic or extrinsic stimuli by reorganizing its structure, functions, or connections after injuries. So these injuries could be like a physical bodily one or it could be emotional. You think about the simplest way to put this for you, like you were kind of saying, there's this part of your brain that's that's resulting to all these negatives. So negative has happened. And so there's this big section of your brain that responds this way because of the negative thing that's happened. But when you introduced a new way of thinking, it's literally shifting a pattern or a cycle. It's that muscle because uh, the brain really like that organ if you think about it like that, that section of the brain will actually get smaller the more you introduce a positive stimuli and it actually replaces it. But here's the kicker. That that component, much like your memory, doesn't necessarily go away. It becomes subdued by the new pattern. But if you were to allow, if you were to stop adding this positive stimuli, this, this positive way of thinking and, and operating, that, that negative one will can regrow and will come back. And this is just the way we've been wired, the way we've been designed. And that's why you, you're seeing even culture is starting to understand this, right? Like um, all the books that are being written about the ability to change your mind, the power of what's this new one out? The uh, It's like this big book about patterns or something like that, right? Super popular book, but everyone's trying to find ways of shifting their patterns. And for us, it really is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so God is dealing with the brain and the way we think about things, the way we respond to things first, not our heart, because our heart is deceitful above all things. If you are led by your emotions, you will run aground every day of the week, every day of the week. But when your mindset changes, then what comes into my brain, what comes into my gates through what I see, hear, or even ingest, how that, how that gets into my heart will be all is all determined by the way I think about it and the way I've allowed um, 
and whether or not I've allowed the Lord to speak to those things to really change the way I, I see them. And you, you were speaking about church hurt, right? Mm. Did the church hurt me or did that individual hurt me? Did that individual and why did, did that individual hurt me because he had a vendetta against me because he hated me? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but does that one individual represent the entire church and should they? Does the Bible say that the church is supposed to be perfect? Does, it, does the Bible say that the church will be perfect? Or does it say that, that there's no condemnation for those that are rooted in Christ Jesus, but we're still all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Is it, and so when we start looking at our lives through that lens, just much like you said, it's like you can start putting honor where honor is due and move past those things that have tried to hold you back. Absolutely. Well, Troy, I just want to say a huge thanks for being my very first guest on Rekindled Faith with Melanie so Bearda. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if my listeners want to connect with you, where can they reach you? Um, for anything related to just individual ministry stuff, family stuff, um, you can follow me on social media, Prairie Boy Troy, Prairie Boy Troy. And if you are interested in Christian hip hop and worship infused hip hop and R&B, um, you can follow my music page, scribe underscore music. I'm active on both. And to hear myself and the team weekly, you can listen to the AC podcast. You can follow Apologetics Canada at Apologetics Canada just on social media. And um, yeah, that'd be the best way you can look up. I'm easy to find. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, thanks also for making the intro music for my podcast. Let's go. You're welcome. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Have a good one, Troy. Thanks.